This is Bless You Boys Podcast 131, recorded October 1st, 2014. ALDS preview with special guest Mark Brown of Camden Chat. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Welcome to the Bless You Boys podcast, where the editorial staff of BlessYouBoys.com, SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog, kicks around the past week of Detroit Tigers baseball, or in this case, look forward to the upcoming week of Detroit Tigers baseball, which is playoff baseball. We are now in the postseason. Tigers clinched this past weekend on the final day of the year. So this podcast is going to look back a little bit, but the majority of it, we're going to be looking forward to the ALDS at the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, the division series starts on Thursday. We're recording this on Wednesday night. So some of this information that we're talking about now is going to be answered in about 16 hours or so, uh, specifically the uh, ALDS roster. But there's plenty to talk about. We have a special guest from Camden Chat who's going to give us his thoughts on the Orioles. And uh, we'll go from there. So first off, let's get the introductions out of the way. I'm Al Beaton, co-managing editor of BlessYouBoys.com. Joining me as always is the man I like to call the king of West Michigan. He's also an acolyte of Earl Weaver. Uh, tends to fall on the money ball side of things, and don't ask him about softball season in the fall, and that is the man you know as Hook Slide. How's things, Hook Slide? Hey, you know what? Hook, uh, Hook Slide says that the uh, softball season is finally over, so we are <laughs> happy, happy, happy right now. Tiger, you know, With that being out of the way, the Tigers clinched, so it's looking to be a good uh, month of October. So. I hope so, because... This season has been, well, we'll talk about that after we interview, but this season has been one of the more grueling in recent memory, to say the very least. Not Maybe not as grueling as your softball season, but pretty darn grueling all the same. Well, we finished 0-6, and five of, those, five of those losses were by mercy rule. So. Oh, that's grueling. <laughs> yes. Thank God that's over. <laughs> All right, great. Well, with that, um, I don't think we have our bases covered, so let's get to the interview and uh, let's start talking some ALDS. So the floor is yours, looks like. Yeah, well, like you said, uh, going into this ALDS series with the Baltimore Orioles, we thought it would be uh, kind of a good idea to make contact with our SB Nation sister site, Camden Chat, uh, the SB Nation's Baltimore Orioles website. So uh, on, on deck today, we have Mark Brown. Uh, who is the co-managing editor, a writer, podcast host, and uh, by his own admission, quote-unquote, resident nerd over at Camden Chat. Mark, how are you doing? Guys, I'm doing just great, but I, I got to ask, are you trying to butter me up, calling Hook Slide an acolyte of Earl Weaver, or does he always say that? No, no. trust me, he has, uh, he's done a lot of, uh, he, he likes to read, and he has uh, read some uh, quite a bit about Earl Weaver, and we both tend to fall on the side of, the best offense is of the three-run home run uh, offense, which was always Earl Weaver's mantra. 
It sure was. Yeah, I, I read his uh, uh, his baseball strategy book over the summer and just absolutely fell in love with it. I mean, I'd, I'd liked his his basic strategy anyway, but getting more in depth with what he was saying, I thought this is this is cool. He, he was the Billy Bean before Billy Bean was Billy Bean, so uh, that, that's why Al calls me the uh, accolade of Earl Weaver. I always find it interesting how he, in some ways, he was just so ahead of his time with exactly. the things he was doing. It's it's really interesting stuff. Yeah, fully on board with not only his anti-bunting strategy, but also his his kind of philosophy of bullpen management, which is you know, go with the with the with the best pitcher you've got, and don't really necessarily stick with a closer role that that you know that kind of thing. So no one would hire him today with these wacky philosophies. I'm telling you. Well, right, but it's nice to have somebody like that who is actually old school that you can point to and say these ideas aren't, uh, you know, aren't just the sabermetric nerds, uh, you know, proprietary sort of thing. So anyhow, uh, Mark, we wanted to get right into these questions that we had for you, kind of talk about this uh, upcoming ALDS matchup, Orioles versus Tigers. And let's let's just dive right in right into the controversy with uh, Chris Davis getting that 25 game suspension. So he's going to miss this part of the postseason. The suspension was for taking Adderall without an exemption. We understand he'd had permission to use it in the past. Uh, this is—I'm just going to spray buckshot here, Mark, and have you just kind of go off on this. But what what happened here? How did how did he forget to get an exemption this year when he had it before? Do you feel like the MLB suspension was fair? I mean, should they have just overlooked that since he had permission to use it? Do you consider Adderall to be a PED? Just just kind of go off on that. Well, it was very – I'm sure as you guys know, when kind of news breaks in the baseball world, there's often conflicting stories. So once the dust settled a little bit, um, the my best understanding of the situation was that he had had the, uh, the therapeutic use exemption for Adderall prior to 2012. So basically before he was on the Orioles and then Major League Baseball – uh, denied when he applied for it before 2012 season. So after that point, he no longer had one. Um, apparently around that time, someone in the baseball or the baseball office itself just decided they were granting too many of these exemptions, and uh, Davis was one of the people who was squeezed out on that. So not you know not being a doctor or knowing Chris Davis at all, it's really not for me to say whether he had a legitimate uh, – ADD case to where he he should be allowed to use Adderall or not, but certainly he knew that he was not supposed to be taking it. And uh, I don't know if you guys have encountered the the amphetamine policy, which is on a separate track from the PED policy. But we uh, we also had a reliever suspended over the off season, so uh, it's it's the second time I've run into it this year. The first time you test positive, you just get a warning, and then you get increased testing. So it basically works out to uh, eight tests per year, and I believe it's two if you're not on the extra testing. So uh, we don't know when he got this first test, but it was probably not this year. It was probably a a past offense, and then he knew he was subject to the extra testing. So uh, my, my theory of what happened is probably he was getting desperate to do something to both improve his own performance and have that help the team and uh, probably maybe thought he could skate away with not having another test jump at him uh, for the rest of this season. And then probably they, they, they pulled a test on him. And of course he had taken that and uh, then, and then he got caught and it was the second test. So 25 games. Uh, I, I don't have any way of knowing whether that's what really happened, but I think that's one theory that fits the facts that are known. 
Wow. Okay. So it's not just a case that he forgot to apply. You're, you're saying he actually did apply for the exemption and was denied. Uh, before 2012, he applied and they didn't. Uh, they didn't give him one then. So I, I assume he just stopped applying from then on because it, it didn't seem like they were going to be giving him one from that point forward. It's an interesting spin because I, I think we were under right Al. We were under the impression mm-hmm. that he just simply forgot to, 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 to uh, even apply for the permission. Yeah, we were thinking something more sinister, I guess. <laughs> oh, well, that was one of the first things that was reported. It was as if he had just forgotten. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it seems like baseball turned him down, and after that point, he just didn't seek one again. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if he, uh, it, when the suspension ends, would he? When would he become eligible for the playoffs? I believe he has seven games left to serve, so depending on how long the ALDS goes, if they advance, um, he would then have to serve like two to four games in the championship series mm-hmm. round, and he would have to be on the roster at the start of the round, oh, even yeah. though he can't Good be point. active for those games, mm-hmm. so they would be carrying um, for as long as that is, uh, they would be carrying some dead space for until that suspension wore out. And where there's kind of argument among Orioles fans about whether it would be worth having the man short to, to, to be able to bring him in for game four and beyond, or if he should just stay off until the world series or not even play in the world, uh, in, in the postseason if they make it that far. That's, that's quite a conundrum uh, that, that you're going to have there. I know the Tigers are facing something similar, but it involves an injury around Rajay Davis because they don't know when he's going to be healthy to play. And you're right. You mean he has to be on the roster to start the uh, the ALDS, but who knows if they'll be able to use him or not. So Yeah, and for me, I mean, he hasn't faced professional, well, major league level mm-hmm. pitching for three months, yeah. uh, three weeks, excuse me. And so, I mean, it's even if you bring him back, it's like, well, you know, he's going to be cold, and it's not like he was exactly tearing the cover off the ball even mm-hmm. before he got suspended, batting under the Mendoza line, although he did at least have 26 home runs. But, you know, I, I, it's, it's hard for me to imagine him coming back and just being some savior riding, you know, in on the white horse and delivering a series for the Orioles. All right. Well, speaking of the Orioles' season, per se, it's uh, the Orioles finished the season almost playing 600 ball, 593 win percentage, and really ran roughshod over the entire AL East. Your nearest competition, the Yankees, were barely over 500 at 519. So the question Tigers fans are wondering was the, you, the Orioles running away from the division, was it more you guys are so good? Or the AL East is that bad, or is the truth somewhere in the middle? Well, it's certainly a wishy-washy answer, but I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, Certainly the Orioles have picked a very good year to have a good year because their competition just kind of fell apart around them. Like, you know, the Yankees' arms were just falling off, and Boston's rely on the young players' uh, strategy just completely failed. And you know, Toronto's pitching just kind of fell off the table around midseason, and then the Rays were just not hanging in there on, in, in, uh, as far as their offense. So, mm-hmm. you know, there, there was, the door was open for a surprise Orioles team, and certainly they made the most of that opportunity uh, in part by feasting on their divisional rivals. But, I mean, they had a, a pretty good record against the rest of baseball as well, except for the Central, AL Central pretty much. That was kind of their... Uh, their kryptonite, which is worrisome for this series in particular, but uh, you know it wasn't 
it wasn't by accident that they ended up with 96 wins and with the 12 game division lead. And to think that they did that without Earl Weaver. It's just, it's, without it's Earl mind. Weaver, and it's... more relevant to the 2014 Orioles, uh, pretty much without Matt Weeters, without any kind of real positive production from Chris Davis, uh, missing Manny Machado for a fair amount of time in, in there, and he's not going to be around for the postseason either, obviously. So uh, it, it was not a way that I, – I was saying this on my own podcast that uh, we, we dusted off for – uh, earlier this week, like it, it, even if before the season, if I had been willing to accept that the Orioles could win 96 games, which I, I, I'm kind of a noted pessimist among the Orioles fan crowd, but if I had been willing to accept that, I would not have rattled off the the ways that they've succeeded as being what I would imagine happening to further to be a 96 win Orioles team. Right, because like you said, they're doing this without some of the big guns, uh, you know, falling due to injury. However. Your Orioles team does feature two former Tigers. Actually, no, I gotta take that back because it's actually three. Is isn't Steve Lombardozzi still on the roster? Uh, he is in the minors. He's he not went back to the minors. That's yeah, right. Yeah, they they didn't have him around for very long. Uh, he, okay. I think he's on the forty. They might have outrighted him, but okay. But they do still have Delman Young and Quinton Berry, uh, both you know former former Tigers, and we've had our experiences with them. I know the Tiger fan base is, uh, you know, th- there's there's some pros and some cons, certainly for both of them. Just curious to get your take on, on what you've seen from, from both of those players. Well, Delman Young is really surprising to me because, well, one, I didn't realize how young he was. I thought he was kind of on the washed-up side just because, I mean, obviously he's been kicking around all across a bunch of teams in recent years, kind of um, I guess he kind of overstays his welcome because I, I am aware he has some skeletons in his closet as far as bad behavior. Uh, I certainly remember him as the guy who threw the bat at the umpire in the minors, mm-hmm. and uh, there was that whole thing. What was it? And while well, he was in on the Phillies, where he, uh, or he was in Philadelphia or something, but he uh, he had the the slur at the Jewish person, and it was just like he was of the Tigers when that went. Yeah, down. he was yeah. on. The, it, was, that was, was ours. It in Philadelphia, where that happened, or am I remembering that? Maybe it was. I, I think that's right. Uh, uh, so I mean, it, it doesn't sound like a guy you want on the team, and I just figured out he was whatever roster filler Dandy Cup brought in, and then it turned out well, he's actually got something left in the tank, and it's it, you know it, it's like wow, do we need to feel bad about liking this guy who did all this bad <laughs> stuff? I, but he's uh, you know in, in a part time role and a in a just kind of coming in as a pinch hitter role, he's just he's had a very good season for the Orioles, having a one twenty OPS plus pretty much off the bench, occasional left field. The less of that, the better, as far as I'm concerned. He's, uh, so you I mean, he tries, but you know, he's, he's, uh, he's just kind of a wrecking ball out there. And, uh, I mean, I've, I've enjoyed having him on the Orioles, which I was surprised by because I didn't figure he would stick around, make the team at all. And, uh, I, I hear he has a reputation for hitting home runs in the postseason. So I'm certainly hoping that, uh, that comes true in this series as well. Yeah, we were just marveling the other day at the fact that he's been on, I want to say the number is six, six postseason, uh, I should say six years in the postseason now, a streak that he's had running, um, you know, going back a ways. So, um, yeah, he, he, he's turning into Mr. October. I'm not sure how that happens, but, uh, yeah, certainly the uh, the defensive side is the, is the part you want to watch out for. So what about uh, Quinton Berry? 
Well, he slummed in uh, our AAA team in the Norfolk Tides for most of the year. I think they added him on the September call-ups, and uh, basically he was just kind of pinch-running. I probably wouldn't really register his presence at all, except he was uh, Adam Jones's friend from way back in San Diego. I think they played high school ball together and might even have been Little League together. He's known Barry for a while, so that's how I, he sticks out in my mind. But he's uh, he's kind of like the second pitch-runner replacement outfielder mm-hmm. behind David Lowe. Uh, I'm not sure if he will make it onto the roster for the series or not. Uh, they're they're talking about carrying uh, as few as ten pitchers over the five game series. So if that's the case, that makes more room for Barry, and you know he'd probably just be a late game, you know, pinch run mm-hmm. for Delman Young or uh, Nelson Cruz or something, and then then go play left field. And then so, scare you to death because he. Uh, we we still joke here in Detroit about outfielders taking Quinton Barry style routes in the outfield. Oh, <laughs> he didn't even play enough outfield for, you for that to register lucky, on my radar. Oh God! <laughs> and of course the clapping hook side, right? The clapping. So. He, yes, his clapping is is that which ignites an entire offense. So as, <laughs> as long as you have Quinton Berry in the dugout clapping, you should be rock solid. All right. Well, hopefully, maybe they can leave him in the dugout even if he's not on the roster. That's I, right. I, don't, I don't know what the rules are for that. All right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the Tigers and Orioles playing during the regular season. Uh, last time the Tigers faced the Orioles, Mark, uh, they capped off a uh, a season series victory, going five and one. But that they, the last time they played was way back in May fourteenth. And that was also back when the Tigers were the hottest team in baseball. And even one of our own writers said the AL Central was going to be over by Memorial Day. Well, obviously, none of that happened. Tigers cooled off, and the Orioles at the time were a 500 team, but they really took off. And since then, uh, the Tigers really have been a little more than a 500 team since their hot start. And the Orioles have been maybe the best team in baseball. So we're. When it comes to this matchup, you know the, the Tigers did dominate, but there's a lot of caveats there. All right, do you put more stock in the Tigers' season matchup against the Orioles, or do you think the Orioles have the advantage just because they've played so well for so long now? I think certainly the Tigers uh, have something of an on-paper advantage just from the sheer amount of star power that is on your roster, and I don't know how much that's... I mean, certainly some of that was reflected in going... Uh, the Orioles only won one of the six games, but I think uh, I think they're cap- the Orioles are capable of surprising Tigers fans who maybe that's their memory of the Orioles from this season because uh, the rotation in particular made some great strides in the second half. Now some of that was probably because uh, basically like a month of the second half, like they they came out of the All Star break and it was like. 16 straight games against the AL West, uh, the good teams in the AL West, like Seattle, Los Angeles, Oakland, and then there was another like week on top of that that was winning teams, and then like after that, it was almost all of August and early September they were playing sub-500 teams, so some of that might be why the Orioles' rotation was better in the second half, but uh, some of it, I think, is perhaps that it was the Orioles' new pitching coach, Dave Wallace, who was formerly in the Atlanta organization, maybe having had some time to work with those pitchers, that he uh, he was able to get some improvements on them. And if that's the case, then I think the rotation can be better than you might expect from mm-hmm. what you remember from that series, although they're certainly fully capable of melting down, as anybody is, over a short series where you never really know what's going to happen over best of five. 
Right. I'm going to kind of piggyback on that. I know we didn't put this in the show notes, but uh, one of the statistics that I've been looking into is just the, the sheer number of home runs that the Orioles have hit this year. Um, and I want to say it's, it's AL, league, AL league leading number of home runs. Um, but one of the stats that I looked into is just the number of uh, runs scored by way of the home run, and it looks like it's close to 50%. The Orioles have scored 48% of their runs this year by way of the home run. Um, so it seems on paper that they tend to kind of rely on the long ball, and I'm sure Earl Weaver would be, would be proud of that. Um, but the question that kind of arises, I guess, in my mind is, on paper at least, it looks like they don't really tend to score runs any other way. Um, whereas the Tigers only scored around 32% of their runs by way of home runs. So they've, you know, found ways to manufacture runs. Um, Does that hold true, not just on paper, but in your experience watching the Orioles this year? Do they, uh, you know, do do they play small ball at all? Well, they have trouble if they're not homering, certainly, because uh, I believe the final number was 71 of their 96 wins. They had a home run in those games. So, in, in the games where they didn't hit a home run, you know, it was uh, a serious disadvantage for them. Not that it was impossible, but it was an uphill climb. And, you know, I mean, Earl Weaver, if we want to bring him up, one of his uh, the sayings that was always attributed to him was things like, uh, there's a place for the sacrifice bunt, but it's buried deep in the closet. And <laughs> right. the, uh, the Orioles certainly didn't do a lot of that. I believe they were last in the majors in stolen bases because there's not a lot of guys on the team who should really be trying to steal bases. So it's better to just, if you get on, just... Uh, stay stay where you are. Although there are guys who can be aggressive, like going first to third, for instance, on a single. Uh, but you know, there's not a lot of well trying to steal or you know laying down a bunt, which is okay with me because I, I mean bunts are bunts are frustrating. Just especially if you have a, a lineup full of home run hitters, it's like just just let them swing and see what happens because they're probably going to swing anyway. Right, right. It's just kind of a curious thing to me because, uh, you know, I tended to feel the same way Al probably did too about the 2013 Tigers. That mm-hmm. they were, we used to joke that they were kind of a softball team in that sense that a lot of uh, guys that could not run to save their lives, but, you know, power hitters. And yet, even that team, uh, in terms of the number of home runs, um, sorry, the number of runs scored via the home run was still only like 38% or 36%. That's still, you know, well below what the Orioles are doing this year. Um, Another number that stuck out, Mark, was that um, you know people want to say it's because it's Camden Yards. You know, it's a home run friendly park. But looking at the numbers, the Orioles have hit just as many home runs. Literally, it's like a fifty-fifty split at, at home and on the road. So it seems like they're, they're going to hit those home runs no matter what. Is that? I mean, am I reading that right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's they hit the home runs, and you might you go in and you think, well, this pitcher doesn't give up home runs. Like, I mean. You just never know. Like we were playing the Yankees, and uh, you know Masahiro Tanaka came over from Japan, and he was awesome. And like Jonathan Scope, who struggled, just had two home runs against Tanaka in two different starts this season. It's like, well, Tanaka, he's going to just obliterate these guys. And then here comes, you know, the rookie second baseman who's got like a sub three hundred on base percentage and batting like two twenty or something. And he, you know, he's he's got two home runs off Tanaka. It's amazing. It, it, they can just come out of nowhere, and it, all it takes is one mistake, and then all of a sudden, whoever's on base, they're all they're all just coming around and coming home. And right, home so, or road, it it can happen anytime. That's right. 
Now, we, we both honor the memory of, of Earl Weaver, uh, and yet moving on to the manager question, uh, certainly this Tigers fan base has done a ton of second-guessing of our manager, uh, Brad Osmus's in-game in strategies, whether it's uh, the way he's managing the bullpen, what he's doing with defensive replacements, uh, late innings, pinch-hitting choices, that sort of thing. Um, I know second guessing is sort of the American uh, pastime, and I, I kind of joke that that's what our, our country is founded on second guessing. That uh, if King George had been better with bullpen management, the revolution might not have happened. <laughs> but the question is uh, does the Orioles fan base kind of tend to do the same thing with Buck Showalter, or have you guys been pretty well content with the way that he's run the team? Well, I think, like you said, to some extent, it's quite a pastime. And as you're watching an individual game and you know, you, you might watch uh, some decisions made that just seem puzzling at the time and are frustrating. Like, you know, if it's a close game and he brings in one of the less impressive relievers in the bullpen and then they blow the game and it's like, oh, my God, Buck, what are you doing? But uh, I nearly always when that has happened, it has turned out that there was a reason why he went to that reliever, namely that you know, one of the good relievers or even all the good relievers were unavailable either because of an undisclosed injury or they had just pitched, uh, you know, too many games recently or in a row or whatever. So, you know, they're, they're, Buck certainly is smarter than, uh, than than me. So if he does something, it might be a head scratcher in the short term, but generally there's a long term reason for it. And I, I don't imagine. Is, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, what's what's kind of the one area that you feel is is his weak spot? Is it bullpen management? Is it just uh, the starting lineup? Where, where where do you guys find you tend to second guess him the most? Oh, I would say probably the one thing that is most frustrating that he does regularly is it just he has this. It's almost like he has a blind spot with a couple of the starters, like Wei and Chen in particular. It will seem like. He will just try to get like one more inning out of Chen, who's maybe already at 90 pitches, and he does his worst work once he's above about 85 pitches. So, so let's say he gets through five innings on 90 pitches, and uh, Buck will maybe bring him out for the sixth. And there were, it felt like there were just several times where he would just like let a guy on base and then get two outs, and then maybe he would be facing a righty, and there was like a right-handed reliever warmed up, and Showalter would have him pitch to the righty and then you know he gave up like a home run or he gave up a big hit or something and it, it just felt like it, it's not only Chen he does that but that's the one that sticks out the most he just is almost like too too much trying to squeeze out extra of his starters at least for the context of one game although it's certainly maybe part of a grander plan but something we can relate to right now oh definitely fans and managers are alike all over <laughs> to the very least, and it's interesting you brought up that you know managers will make a, a head scratching decision, but but we need to realize they do no more because we've had a few of the beat writers for the Tigers on the podcast, and that's exactly what they said about some of Brad Ausmus's decisions. That there's often more going on there than any fan realizes, and they also did mention that you have to remember all these guys that are in a dugout know far more about baseball than the rest of us, and we're all just for essentially second-guessing experts. Yeah, I mean, it, it often seemed like it turned out, and they would, they would only say it after the game, like mm -hmm. maybe somebody had rolled an ankle or they had a slightly tweaked hamstring or whatever, and they just didn't want to do it. Or uh, One of Showalter's things is uh, if, if a player warms up twice in a game, even if they don't get into the game, he counts them as having pitched. Oh, so wow. it, uh, it might have been like, 
they they might not have even come into two games in a row, but maybe they pitched one day and warmed up twice the next day, so then they weren't available the third day. So that's it. It was it, usually it was something like that, and there was a reason for it. So maybe you know it might even have been almost punting one game or just hoping for the best with a, a less optimal option and then you know kind of saving the the better relievers for the long run which given how the Orioles bullpen has performed I mean yeah. uh, it, it, you know you can't argue with the macro results mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah maybe that that two um that warming up twice rolls what screwed up Jim Johnson but but regardless of all that it's a uh, uh the Orioles are a really good team, and to be honest with you, I'm scared of them. And if and our picks are going to go live in the AM tomorrow. And actually, I picked the Orioles in this series. So before we get to the lightning round, um, Mark, who do you pick in this series? What's your prediction? Oh, I th- I don't know. I could see any number of the outcomes. Like I like I said, I'm kind of a pessimist. So it, it in it in my darker thoughts, I can just imagine like three straight complete game shutouts, Scherzer, Verlander, Price, and then you know this this time. Uh, Sunday night, it's it's all over, and I'm I'm looking towards next year. But there's there's been so many games where the Orioles just like it's almost like you think they're going to get no hit through five innings, and then like the third time through the lineup, just it's when it has all clicked for whatever reason. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think I think it's going to go five games, and I think probably the Tigers. Uh, kind of Cy Young pitching experience will probably be greater. So I, I would probably guess Tigers in five, but, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if the Orioles won. I would certainly love it if the Orioles won. But, oh, and not to mention Miguel Cabrera, Victor Martinez, quite right. uh, star power on the offensive end as well. Well, Hookslide, you're the tiebreaker then because I'm going uh, Orioles, Mark's going Tigers. Who do you have? Uh, well, you know, the, the, our, like I said, our staff predictions are going live tomorrow morning. I, I still say it's Tigers in four. Uh, and uh, it's, it's going to be one of our aces that gets demolished, surprisingly, whether that's uh, David Price or Max Scherzer. One of these guys is going to surprise us by giving up too many home runs to the home run happy Orioles. Uh, yeah. But I still think they'll pull it out. Verlander had a rough game in that short, uh, in, in our earlier meetings. So the yeah. Tigers still won that game, but. If the Orioles can hit Verlander like that again, I'd feel a lot better about it this time around, at least for one game. But yeah, that's one of the Tigers fans' fears is because Verlander, even though he's been great in September, uh, he's not the Verlander most fans remember. Uh, you know, most non-Tigers fans remember from a couple of years ago. So uh, you're going to be surprised. You're not going to see 100 mile an hour heat. We'll, we'll guarantee you that. So, all right, you ready for the uh, lightning round, Mark? Some I quick am questions as ready as I'm getting. All right, let's get this done. So. All right, first question. Which member of the Orioles' starting rotation has the best chance of shutting down the Detroit Tigers' offense? I mean, really, it could be any of them, and it would leave you scratching your heads, but I'm going to say Miguel Gonzalez, who I just really enjoy his... He just kind of had an out-of-nowhere story, and he's kind of the classic... um, he outperforms his his fielding independent pitching number, and everybody's like, well, you know, he's going to regress. But so far, he hasn't, and he's pretty much had two-and-a-half uh, seasons at the big league level now, and he just he gets it done with his split-finger fastball that gets weak fly balls, and uh, I, I would say Gonzalez for that reason. Which Tigers uh, pitcher, starting pitcher, would you rather not see in the ALDS? Well, it's very unfortunate that the Game 1 starter, Max Scherzer, is the one I want to see the least because it means I'm going to see him twice if the yes. series goes that long. Mm-hmm. 
All right, next question. Who do you think is going to do the most damage against the Tigers in the Orioles lineup? I, I can guess right now what most Tigers fans think, but who do you say? Well, I, I looked at the uh, the matchups of Orioles hitters against the Tigers pitchers, and Nelson Cruz has a good track record against all of the starters except for uh, Porcello. So I'm going to go with Cruz, and uh, I think the Orioles will probably be hanging their hats on his production mostly in this series. So hopefully yeah. he comes through. And that's exactly the name I was going to say because he uh, tortured us when he was a Ranger in the, uh, in the ALCS. All right, last question before we let you go. It's a one-run Tigers lead in the ninth inning. Who do you want to see coming out of the Tigers' bullpen, and who do you do not want to see coming out of the bullpen? Well, obviously the guy that I would like to see coming out of the bullpen is Joe Nathan, which is uh, <laughs> probably <laughs> good in the sense that he's he's going to be the guy coming out of there in the ninth inning. Um, I feel like uh, I've read a couple articles on your site, and nobody seems to think that uh, Anibal Sanchez is going to get much use in this uh, in this series. But that's the guy I would not want to see because he seemed like he was uh, doing well as a starter. And if he gets pushed into the bullpen, that would be an arm I would not really want to have the Orioles run into. Yeah, we're we're going to take that information and send it right to Brad Osmus, just so you know. <laughs> so. <laughs> Not, not that he would listen. <laughs> he's he's probably got his plan, whatever mm-hmm. his plan is. But uh, that's right. You know, you, you never know. And, and it, over it's, five it's, games, anything can happen. It is not the Earl Weaver plan. Just so we were all clear on that. All right. So anything else you'd like to add, Hook Slide, before we let Mark get back to his busy life? Yeah. I, let me just throw in one more question. I know you already answered this for uh, uh, Robert Jackie on, on the uh, on the site when you did the uh, Behind Enemy Lines post with him. Um, but I, I know that uh, not all of our readers are necessarily are podcast listeners um, and vice versa. So this might be new information for, for some of our uh, audience members. Um, Nelson Cruz had a one-year contract with the Orioles, and he's obviously lived up to you know all the expectations and even beyond that. Uh, do you see him coming back next year? Um, do you want him coming back next year? Obviously, he's probably going to want a lot of money and probably a long contract. What are your thoughts on that? I would, I would certainly like having him back if the it was a good deal for both sides. But I think his forty home runs, leading the home the the, the league in home runs this year, has probably just put him out of the range that uh, the Orioles are are willing to commit to one player. Especially give it like for me when it was last off season and Cruz was out there like oh well he wants a four year deal I was like man I, you know you gotta he's already like thirty three you don't want you you don't want to worry about the third and fourth year so I feel like the Orioles just got year one that was least likely to be the breakdown year and you know if if that's it and he goes on I you know I will I will always fondly remember his time as an Oriole but uh, if if he's probably due to break down I would not mind if that happens somewhere else either i don't I mean i never know what kind of stuff these guys can command but he he certainly answered the biogenesis doubts that he could come out of that suspension and presumably be uh clean now that they're going to be testing or you know on him for whatever and coming out of that hitting 40 home runs i think uh there will be more suitors this time around and that that makes the orioles less likely to be able to afford him really all right, uh, Mark, uh, before we let you go, uh, if our Bless You Boys listeners and readers want to find you online, such as Twitter, where can they follow you? Uh, yeah, I am at EatMoreSK, that is E-S-S-K-A-Y, which is a brand of hot dogs that is local to the Baltimore area. And, that uh, explains to, it. To me, yeah. it was always the uh, kind of the essential part of the experience. It's it's like, it's been the, the Baltimore brand of hot dog for 
uh, over a hundred years. So that was growing up. You would always hear the commercial. It'd be like Cal Ripken Jr. would do the commercial for SK Hot Dogs, and the slogan was "Taste the difference, quality makes." So uh, you know, when I came online and I wanted to have a, you know, I don't want to just be another Orioles fan, whatever number, you know. So I, I was like, man, how do I be distinct? Well, eat more SK. SK hot dogs. I, Mark, I got to tell you, I'm going to sleep so much better tonight knowing that because I looked at that. I, I followed you on Twitter the other day and I looked at that name and I went, SK, SK. I, I thought there was like some weird pig Latin thing going on there and I could not make sense of that. Yep. It, it is you. the brand Thank of hot dogs. They also make bacon and other meat products. <laughs> I, 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 whenever I go to an Orioles game, I get an SK hot dog. So that's my <laughs> it is. All right. Well, thanks again, Mark. And, uh, Hope you enjoyed the uh, ALDS and uh, hope to have you on the show again soon when uh, there's another major matchup to talk about. So thanks again. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. Wonderful. Thanks, Mark. Well, Hook Slide, uh, I might change my uh, Twitter handle to Drink More Fago. Or Eat More Oscar Mayer. I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> sure. not Detroit centric, though. You didn't well, okay. With... Eat More Little Caesars then? Ver- like, yeah, or, I guess. Or, yeah, Drink More Verner or something. <laughs> like now, now you're talking. Yeah. <laughs> Now I need a drink. <laughs> you said Verner's. Mm. Uh, all right. Uh, all right. So we've got some uh, – kind of got the Baltimore side of things out of the way. And we've also made our predictions, and obviously you'll be able to find those on the site uh, as of Wednesday anyway. Uh, actually, Thursday anyway, because, again, this is a, we're recording this on Wednesday night before the series. But uh, there's been a lot going on this past week as well, Hookslide, because the Tigers actually clinched a four-straight division crown. Uh this is one of those, uh, you know, no one thought it was going to be, no one did, I know I didn't, that thought it was going to be as grueling of a season as it turned out to be. Uh, no, but we, well, I think we tend well, yeah, well, no, let me I give you a sec here. Let me just <laughs> get this out there. There was just a lot of adversity this team faced, and I, there was a, and a lot of it we didn't see coming, specifically all the injuries. A metric crap ton of injuries, you know, going from spring training to Andy Dirks and Bruce Rondon to losing Annabelle Sanchez for long stretches, Joaquin Soria. There's been a lot, let alone, you know, the recovery of Cabrera and Verlander. And obviously, the Central turned out to be a far better division than we both, I think, at least I anticipated. Uh, and obviously, there's major bullpen issues. There's a rookie manager issue. And you had a fan base that was really on edge the entire season, you know, specifically once the losing, that first big losing streak hit. So, you know, at least in that way, I think it was a more grueling season uh, than some of the other uh, division crowns. But, you know, for a team that's dominated division hook slide, there really hasn't been one season where they absolutely destroyed the division, I don't think. Uh, well, I don't know. Like, it seems like 2013, just last year, was a lot more of an easy trip. Yeah, and, but and they, I know they, they did didn't get kind of tight towards the end. Yeah, not, yep. you know. they didn't clinch it until you know three games left in exactly. the season. But at the same time, they were in first place for the majority of that 90 percent of the season. I think it was at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I and I I called it in January of this year when you know when the watchword came out from Dombrowski and others in the organization saying we're going to focus more on speed, we're going to focus more on defense, and not pay as much attention to offense. Uh, you know, I said from the get go. This is going to be a tough season. This is going to be, uh, specifically, I remember saying we're going to be in and out of first place a lot, and it seemed like that—that mm-hmm. that was what happened. You know, there was some times there in August or even going into September, thinking, are, are they ever going to eclipse the, Ori- or the uh, Royals? Rather, mm-hmm. 
and get back to first place. Well, you know, they did. Um, you know, but you and I were talking before the before the show started that, uh, you know, I was saying this this season reminds me a lot more of 1987. Yeah. You know, and that it took them right up to the wire, right up to 162 mm-hmm. to clinch the division. And uh, almost uh, almost the same kind of game, too. Yeah. You know where they where it was Frank Tanana pitching a, a one nothing shutout. Yeah. Uh, one lone home run from Larry Herndon. You know, uh, mm-hmm. kind of matching up with the the home run from Ian Kinsler that we yeah. saw. It just felt a lot like '87. But you know, um, I've said this before, but Sparky Anderson always said that 1987 was, in many ways, his favorite year managing mm-hmm. the Tigers, above and beyond '84. Yeah. He did not like the uh, the pressure of '84 because of the hot start they had, the wire to wire, you know, first place finish that they had. He said the pressure was just too much, the, the expectations mm-hmm. were too high. He didn't he didn't even enjoy that season. So there you go. I mean, there there's some uh, you know weird baseball philosophy for life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, nobody likes a season like this where you're facing all that adversity. And at the same time, you know, take it from Sparky. That's that's it's almost the best kind of season to have. Yeah. Well, I'll put it this way: these kind of seasons are are They'll they'll look like more fun in retrospect than they are actually going through them. Hey, I mean, that. you know, I have rose-colored glasses when it comes to uh, the '87 season. Oh, that was so exciting! Oh my God, it was so great. But living through it, holy crap, it sucked. It was miserable. <laughs> it was absolutely. Yes. I mean, I'm old enough to remember the '87 season pretty well. Mm-hmm. And it was not. It was not a lot of fun, you know, mm-hmm. to go through that. But like you said, you know, you look back on it, and uh, you know. Depending on how things turn out, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I guess the postseason is yet to be written. Yeah, it's one of those things where looking back, I said, "Yeah, I'm glad it went through that, and it all worked out in the end." But yeah, it's we've had some stretches here, Hook Slide, where this season was really. You know, we we questioned this team. Uh, other fans questioned this team. We questioned them on the on the website. It was. Uh, there were times where we were, I, I would say, I don't know want to say use the word disgusted, but extremely disappointed, I think was a good term how we for we, how we talked about the stream team for long stretches. Right. Uh, and, you know, a friend of mine that I got to meet uh, this year during the season came over for the Whitecaps All-Star uh, game. Um, uh, we got together after the afterwards, and uh, he, he just recently wrote a post. I think it's, he actually posted it as a fan post at Bless You Boys, mm-hmm. um, but where he described this season as as a road trip, where where in this road trip you you do end up making the destination, but a lot of crap went wrong along the way. You got a flat yeah. tire, you ran out of gas, you know. So even though you reached the destination, it was still, you know, in his words, a, an effed up road trip, and that does I think adequately describe this this season. They they. The Tigers got to the destination. They did clinch the division, but man, was that not a lot of fun getting there. Yeah, yeah. And Brad Ausmus even alluded to it when, uh, you know, during the post game celebration, and in talking about looking back on the season, and he kind of put it in that way that a lot of things happened this year that no one anticipated, and it really turned into. I think the term he used was a very weird season. And I, I, I kind of I agree with that. The way summing it up, it was a weird season. It really was. I mean, they got yeah. to where we thought they were going to get, and they won about as many games as we thought they were going to win. But man, they took a weird way of getting there. Yes, and, and uh, I know we're going to talk a little bit later about the wild card game that happened last night. But uh, I spent the majority of last night's game hanging out with the crew over at uh, Athletics Nation, mm-hmm. the the Oakland A's SB Nation site, and. Uh, 
and just kind of drew some lessons from watching the way they were reacting to the A's loss because um, they had, you know, the, that major collapse over the last couple of months, yeah. which really kind of set the tone mentally, you know, for kind of expecting this was not going to be yeah. the, the year. And I almost wondered, watching that unfold and watching the fans' reaction, I almost wondered if that was going to be the case for the Tigers this year, that mm-hmm. with as rough as a season as this has been, maybe the expectations are a little bit lower going into the postseason. We're not saying, oh, yeah, World Series, you know, all the way they're going to dominate, you know, all the way up there. Mm-hmm. So you kind of wonder if, if they do get knocked out at some point, you know, did, did the regular season kind of prep us for that and say, yeah, we, we kind of saw that, you know, we saw these struggles all year long. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and if you look at our predictions, uh, again, we'll go live on um, Thursday, uh, you see that. It, it, and I know the last couple seasons, the entire staff's been pretty much in lockstep, saying, yeah, they're going to go. They're going to win a lot, and they're going to go all the way to the World Series. That's changed this year. There's there's people, you know, except first round, and some of us are expecting this team to exit. So, and it makes sense. Uh, yeah, the, the expectations have been dampened. You're right. That's a good call. Yep. Uh, you know, last year was different. Like I said, they, they walked away with the division, in, like maybe not in terms of uh, clinching early, but just right. that they were never out of first place. And yeah, they, they felt like said, they had it in control. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And this year has been very, very different. So mm-hmm. we'll see how it turns out. But uh, if they do get knocked out even early in the ALDS, I'm not going to be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. That's, unlike last year. And that's last stupid. That's, uh, uh, I'm going to tell you that's a stupid way to think. I'll tell you right now. I mean, <laughs> even though I'm thinking that way, I know that's ridiculous because this is the postseason. It is a coin flip. Anything could happen. The Tigers could sweep the Orioles, then sweep the mm-hmm. championship series, and then sweep the World Series. And we'll yeah, all be, yeah. you know, standing with mouths wide open going, what just happened? You know? Yeah. If, if to go in that direction, look at the 2016. I mean, that team, yeah. talk about backing into the playoffs. The 2006 Tigers literally back in the playoffs and yet then they stormed through the al playoffs so you're right you, you baseball is it's, it's a weird again let's use that term weird weird game there all right go. yeah we talked about the, the rotation as what we thought might happen last week well uh yesterday brad osmus did announce his alds rotation and i don't think to anyone's surprise max scherzer is going to start game one and as uh, mark alluded to during our interview that means he'll like if there's a game five, Scherzer will likely get that start as well. Uh, then things get a little more interesting. Uh, hook slide. Justin Verlander gets a start in game two at you no know, at Candom Yards. Obviously, game one and game two are in Baltimore. And David Price, who would be starting on I believe regular rest if he had gotten a game two start, is actually going to get the nod at home. He's going to get the home opener, which would be Sunday in game three. And Rick Porcello as I think I speculated last week, was going to get bumped to the number four spot, and that's just what happened. He's going to get number four if necessary. So I guess in the end, Scherzer makes sense. But the question then is, uh, what's your thoughts on bumping Verlander up over Price and moving Porcello back? Uh, I, you know, I think two different things about that. On the one hand, I think it makes a lot of sense, mm-hmm. uh, just because, as we said, the Orioles are a home run happy team. If they don't hit home runs, they don't win games. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Price has a slightly higher home run rate uh, than Justin Verlander does, so it does, in, in a way, it makes sense, uh, you know, to to let David Price mm-hmm. open up at, at Comerica, where it's not it's not Camden Yards. Um, let, let Justin Verlander handle that game. On the other hand, uh, like I also pointed out during the interview with Mark, mm-hmm. the, the Orioles hit home runs no matter where they are. Right. So uh, pitching David Price at Camden Yards shouldn't really matter. If David Price mm-hmm. is on his game, he's unhittable. Yeah. doesn't matter yeah. where he's pitching. Exactly. 
the part that I don't like about this arrangement is that now when you go to game four, game five, you're looking at either Scherzer or Verlander again, and I would much rather see David Price be in a position to go twice in this series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, – well, when it comes to Scherzer or Price, you know, I'm not going to get too worked up over – you know, it, it tends to be six of one or half dozen of the other. And, but you're, but when it comes down to it, when Price, I think, overall is likely the better pitcher, I agree to there. And it's uh, – I would just feel – I'm with you. I would love – it would be great – to have seen the Tigers go with that one-two punch of Serger and Price in Baltimore, and then come back two games up, you know, and you think, I yeah. don't feel as comfortable of uh, a Scherzer and Verlander doing that. Uh, but let me ask you this: as you as you mentioned on the podcast last week, you there was the thought that, well, Brad Osmus is going to always go with experience, and maybe that's. But maybe the Verlander always seeming to step up in the playoffs the last few years, maybe that's playing into it. But again, he's not the same pitcher he was a couple of years ago either, and that's no, that's the thing. No, and I, I don't necessarily think that that played any uh, role in this. It's not so much experience as tradition, I guess, in this case yeah. that I was referring to more. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because Price has experience. Oh yeah, definitely. Price even has playoff experience. Um, you know, so you could go either way on that. But uh, it seems like I remember reading uh, Catherine's article. You know, uh, when the when the when the rotation was announced, that that Auspice was definitely thinking in terms of the location, yeah. uh, and saying he didn't want Price necessarily pitching at Camden Yards. But uh, again, I think that's maybe a bit misguided thought process, just because the Orioles hit him no matter where they are. Now we could have that. We could say a lot of things misguided. I think about some of Osmus's decision making. Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll go on record and say this. Either way, mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think it's that big of a difference. Right. Because yeah, like I, I said, I, if yeah. Verlander's on his game, it's a good game. If Price mm-hmm. is on his game, it's a good game. If, if if Price is not on his game, it doesn't matter where he's pitching. They're going to kill him. Yeah, yeah. It's as good as that rotation looks. To uh, uh, like for Mark, for example, brought it up. You know, we've seen them. You know, damn near, you know, we between us, we've seen pretty much every game this year. And there has been times where these guys aren't, did not look anything near like Cy Young winners. And Scherzer had stretches this month where he, he was hit pretty hard, and so did Price. So, right. you know, as good as these guys are, and you hope they step up and step to, you know, in, for the playoffs, uh, you know, this is not looking like the out-and-out shutdown rotation it even was going into the playoffs last year, where they were a shutdown rotation, Yet, and, and that says volumes that they were a shutdown rotation last year and still lost in the playoffs. Right. I, yeah, it's... Right. No, it's a coin that. flip, like you said, because yeah. nobody expected, or, or maybe some people did. It, it was still strange that Justin Verlander just turned it on in October mm-hmm. after struggling in yeah. 2013. It's the playoffs, guys. You never know what's going to happen. Price mm-hmm. and and Verlander could end up being just absolute aces going forward. You know, yeah. so yeah. you just it, it really it's a coin flip on on uh, Verlander versus Price in game two. Yeah, uh, it, yeah, it's not much to get uptight about, but yeah, it's definitely there's going to be some second guessing if uh, if this uh, rotation doesn't work out. We'll say that for sure. I, I reserve the right to second yeah. guess. <laughs> All right, uh, the roster, the 25-man roster, as we're recording this, has yet to be announced. And the obvious reason why is the status of Rajai Davis. Uh, they got till, uh, Brad Ausmus has until 10 a.m. Thursday morning to announce his, uh, his uh, 25-man roster. And it really is starting to look like, looks like that 
He's going to use every single bit of that time. Uh, there's going, they're waiting to make a final determination on Davis's injury status. And if he is out for the ALDS, he can still be added for the, champ, the ALCS. But as we brought up with uh, Chris Davis, if the Tigers put him on the ALDS, they have to put him on the ALDS roster if they plan on using him any time in this series, which means if he's not quite ready, the Tigers are going to be playing shorthanded for a few games. So the Tigers have a decision to make there because when it comes down to it, if it's not Rajai Davis in center field, then you're talking Don Kelly and Exil Carrera, which I don't think thrills anybody, let alone the injury, the the, uh, the polite term, grade one pelvic strain, you know what, <laughs> aka pubic symphysis. Uh, it's, it's just a bizarre thing to happen as it was because I think as Rob put it, Doctor Rob, as we like to call him, said it's the sort of injury you have during sex. So <laughs> it's a weird situation all the way around, but. What do you do with Rajai Davis, uh, Hoxai? Do you risk putting him on the ALDS roster that he'll be healthy enough to play later in the series? Because he didn't work out today, for example. Or do you just say, uh, we're just stuck and we have to roll with Carrera and Kelly or, or Tyler Collins or somebody? Well, I think he did work out today. It seems like he was at least taking batting practice. I thought I read that somewhere. Um, I think the, 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 the answer to that question, though, is I, I think you have to put him on. Uh, in the hopes that even if he can't start game one, maybe he can't even start game two. There's a day off next. You know, he, he might be able to get into game three or game four. Um, and, and certainly, as we saw with the wild card game last night, speed matters. Yeah. You need the guy. If he's healthy and can play, uh, let's just put it this way. It's kind of a nightmarish scenario to think that he's healthy enough to play in a game three, four, or five, mm-hmm. yet not available because they didn't put him on the roster. Right. Which, uh, yeah, and if you can get away with a short roster, it would be a short series, just being a five-game series. But, you know, you got to wonder, you know, the type of injury it is, as bizarre as it is, it do- to me, it doesn't sound like something, even though Davis said, he's, I'm going to be ready for the ALDS, uh, you know, right immediately after it went down. Uh, this seems like the kind of injury, anything involving groin, pelvic area, those things tend to linger. I really don't think... The scary part, I don't think he's going to be 100% for the playoffs, period. Can you believe it? <laughs> like, we've got to deal with one more thing. And, and yeah. again, we just saw it again last night in the wild card. Coco Crisp mm-hmm. had to come out of that yeah. game with an and injury. Played, and yeah, that played huge. Later it in that game. had a huge effect. Yeah. So there's nothing you can do about it. You know, if he's hurt, he's hurt. Davis I'm talking about, obviously. Mm-hmm. But uh, if there's any hope of him getting back onto the team, like I said, I think he got a plan for it in the roster. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this: the, If he doesn't, if he can't play in Game One, who do you do you go with, Kelly or Carrera in center field? Uh, Don Kelly. I'm with you there. Absolutely, save Ezekiel Carrera as a pinch runner late in the game. Yeah, yeah. Kelly, you know, say what you will about Don Kelly. I know he's not going to do anything dumb <laughs> defensively in center field. He knows his, his, as Clint Eastwood said in one of the Dirty Harry movies, a man's got to know it. Was it that or was it, the, I forget. I think it was, a man's got to know his limitations. And Don Kelly knows his limitations. And to be honest with you, I'd like the odds of Kelly just drawing a walk more than Carrera. He's, you know, the odds are he's going to get on base. So, uh, more than Carrera will. So, uh, yeah, I think we're both in lockstep there, but. I have a feeling you might be right on this one, that the Tigers may risk it, hope that Davis will be recovered maybe by like game three, or at least recovered enough where they feel comfortable using him. But my fear is, though, with this injury, 
how much of that speed is he going to lose? That's that's the yeah. big thing. Yeah, and in terms of planning the roster, even if they went in shorthanded and said he's on the roster, but then he's unavailable for a couple of games. I mean, let's let's face it, Al. There's mm-hmm. nobody else on the on the you know on the potential roster that you're going to plug into that spot and think, oh man, we you know, yeah, should have put him in there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like if they leave off a Tyler Collins, let's say, you know, yeah. he might be a difference off the bench in a pinch hit situation, but. I can't imagine that we're going to say, oh, we played with a shorthanded roster. What a huge difference it would have made if we'd have had, you know, fill in the blank. On the, yeah. on the, it's not like we have star power on the bench. Yeah, there's no difference makers there. There's just Don Kelly. Right. So, and, and at the very least, I'll have a polite bench. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's your concerns going into the playoffs, Looks Slide? And, uh, what, who or what? may bother you going into the ALDS in the postseason? Well, that's a that's a difficult question to answer, Al, because as you said, there's been so much adversity this year. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a whole grab bag of, of concerns going into the playoffs. Uh, you know, some of the minor concerns, you know, like is the starting pitching really going to be as good as it's you know been advertised? And it, it has at times and has not at times in the regular season. Uh, is the offense going to be consistent? Can they come through? Uh, a little, I feel a little bit, uh, a bit better about that. Uh, just in this last month, you know, Cabrera obviously finding his stride, Martinez, uh, the Martinez brothers. So I'd say the biggest concern going in is, is obviously going to be the bullpen mm-hmm. and, and specifically how Osmus chooses to manage that bullpen. And that's, you know what? Yeah, I was that, just going to say that's you took the words out of my mouth. Yeah, it's it's been kind of an ongoing conversation at the site. You know, I think people are all kind of in the same category or thinking the same way mm-hmm. that you know with with a guy like Soria and now you know Sanchez available, uh, that's great. There's a yeah. lot of punch possibility there. Um, I just don't trust Osmus not to kind of stick to his robotic you know choices of Java in the eighth, Nathan in the ninth, even on back to back days when that should never ever ever happen mm-hmm. so I, I i'm anticipating um needing a lot of jack daniels <laughs> you know as as he brings java in in the eighth and we all say why aren't you using sanchez because we haven't seen sanchez in three days or whatever it's going to be at yeah. that point you know so that's that's my concern yeah or the fact that just you know god forbid say scherzer or verlander get knocked around and sanchez isn't the first guy out of the bullpen because that's what's got to happen I mean, we saw what happened uh, during the Twin Series where he's bringing in, you know, you see Pat McCoy warming up, for Christ's sake. I'm like, uh, no. You know, you shorten your bullpen, and you're going to go you know, every, you know, once you get to a certain point in the game, every situation is going to be high leverage. So that means you got to use your best pitchers in the fifth or sixth inning. That's what you got to do. And that's, uh, and now we've mentioned this when we, we were trying to figure out what would be the best use of Annabelle Sanchez. No, if yeah, you no, know, bring him in. If you you know the, you know if you see Verlander or Scherzer or Price struggling, and it's the fifth or sixth inning, bring in Sanchez and hope he can get you through the remainder of the game. That would be a, a perfect scenario to use him. As for Soria, you know you're right. I would love to see him in an eighth or ninth inning situation, but I don't think it's going to happen. I, I agree with you that I you know Auspice is just going to push the button. This is what got me through this to this point. I'm going to run with what brung me. That means uh, Jabba and Nathan, and that's a very scary situation. It's a very, very scary situation, and I think the, the, the lead-up to this is that I think he absolutely botched his usage of Sanchez leading up to this point. Yeah. That he had opportunities to put him in games, and first his, his reasoning was, well, I didn't want to bring him in in a close game. I want to bring him in in mop-up duty at first. Mm-hmm. And then there was the availability for mop-up duty, and he still didn't bring him in and changed his tune and said, no, I, I kind of wanted to use him in a close spot. So Sanchez has pitched like what one inning 
you know, since coming back from the from the disabled list, and I, that's just that's that's uh, malpractice right there. <laughs> like, now I don't know how I feel about Sanchez coming into a game when he's only had an inning to kind of get you know back on track. Yeah, that, that's a that's a concern. But at the very least, uh, you know, you look at the track record. I would hope that I think Sanchez would be more than capable. Well, let me put it this way. I mean, I don't care what the situation is. He's only thrown, and you're right, it's only been one inning since August 8th. Who would you rather see come in? Uh, Annabelle Sanchez or Blaine Hurdy? Enough said. You know? Yes. I'm with you. You know, I'll roll the dice of Annabelle Sanchez every time, even if he's rusty. But, uh, so I think we both tend to fall on that. I guess my other fear of this team, Hookside, as we've seen for certain uh, no, even even though the numbers say this is the highest scoring team in baseball, and uh, it's you know, and they have a murderer's row middle of the order, and they truly were in September, as we saw last October. My fear, you know, my fear, you know, and obviously other things played into it last October because of Cabrera's injury, but my fear is this offense is going to be frustratingly quiet at times because you know, obviously one, you're playing a playoff quality team, and two, that has been this offense's mo for the majority of the season, that there are times where they just tend to disappear. Well, that's a good segue into our next uh, question. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm actually going to... What positive do you see? Because I'm going I'm to spin that into a positive. Right. Uh, as far as we saw the offense kind of go up and down, and they were on, and they were off, and they were feast, and they were famine. But I think on the, on the whole, for the month of September, mm-hmm. they were dynamite. And we saw a stretch of three or four, four games in a row... Uh, there September 13th, 14th, 15th, somewhere in that range, where they were mm-hmm. coming in, coming up with the big late innings home runs. Yeah. Uh, Ian Kins, and this is the thing, it wasn't just Cabrera Martinez. Yeah. It was Ian Kinsler coming up with the big home runs. It was uh, it was J.D. Martinez. It was Alex Avila. Alex Avila. It was Tori Hunter. Mm-hmm. So uh, looking at the way they performed heading into the postseason, if they can kind of keep that going, I don't, I don't believe in momentum per se, mm-hmm. but right. uh, there's there's been enough, I think, shining moments of hope there to think you're not relying, as we have so many years past, on you know Prince Fielder, Miguel Cabrera kind of combinations. Yeah. So I, I'm going to turn that to a positive. My my hope going into the playoff is that the, the offense uh, does does a bang up job. Yeah, yeah, and uh, obviously, oh, and I need to add this as a concern, as we talked earlier, the Rajai Davis. You know, uh, as you mentioned, and we'll talk about shortly, speed can kill in the playoffs, and if he can't play or if he's limited, that's going to hurt the Tigers quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Then alone, you know, he's not the best defender, but he's sure as hell can at least track balls down. Uh, yeah, and the other thing I'll add, I'll, just to kind of piggyback on what you said about a positive, a healthy Miguel Cabrera. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's you know that could be that alone could be a a complete difference maker with this team if he's healthy. Swing it and as and as you you know his September stats, he was lights out in September. Was uh, he? He ended up winning Player of the Month. Mm-hmm. So a healthy Miguel Cabrera is a complete and utter. Uh, difference maker. He can destroy other teams. He can put the Tigers on his back. Let alone if you add in the Martinez's, uh, that's a lot of offense for one team to stop. The problem is, I guess, you know, let's uh, will Ian Kinsler, who has shown signs of life, be okay? Will we see signs of life in the bottom of the order? How will a rookie like Nick Castellanos or uh, Eduardo uh, or Eugenio Suarez hold up as well, or even or someone like Andrew Romine, who hasn't played much in the much in the postseason, so there's a lot of wild cards out there with this team, looks like. And you, um, but the positive being, if 
a lot of those questions can be answered or at least eliminated if Miguel Cabrera is Miguel Cabrera. Well, I mean, when's the last time we had a threat like Cabrera, Martinez, Martinez, three in a row? Yeah. That are legitimate, you know, anytime home run threats. Well, I mean, look you think back. Five hitters in the past, like this Bill is what Young. I'm saying, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah Go back right. to 2013. It was, you know, you, you had to kind of rely on Cabrera, Fielder, yeah. Martinez, and we all know that kind of Fielder just sort of, it, it, for whatever reason, he didn't put up the numbers in 2013. But going back to 2012, then you had, you know, Cabrera and Fielder, but there was no Victor Martinez in the picture at that point. You know, so this yeah. is this is a. It feels good to go into this postseason going Cabrera, Martinez, and Martinez with what they've done this year. Yeah, yeah. And at, I think at this point, I think we're both in agreement that uh, at the ver- for at least for the rest of the season, I don't think J.D. Martinez is a mirage. I don't, you know, it looks like he's a guy who has, has figured it out, has clicked. He's uh, hopefully, I know, I, 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 the comparison I keep seeing used with J.D. Martinez, uh, hook slide, is um, Jose Batista. You know, he may not have the same power, but I J.D. Martinez is going to it looks like he's going to hit for better average and, it's, and still have a significant amount of power, and and Bautista was one of those guys that teams gave up on and he just kind of figured it out when he reached a certain age. Uh, so far, that's what it's looked like. What's happened with J.D. Martinez and every team needs a guy like that to come out of nowhere. Like in the Orioles' case, it was uh, with Stephen Pierce, right? Who at, at the age of 31 had a monster, a huge season for them, especially with Chris Davis having a down year. So. If J.D. Martinez can still continue to be J.D. Martinez, that's a huge plus for this team. And we'll be back in five minutes after I finish knocking on all the wood that I can find. <laughs> <laughs> Don't jinx right. it, Al. Don't jinx it. Yeah, I'm not. I, I'll try not. <laughs> well, hey, I'm, you, know, like you could say I'm, I'm, I'm trying to jinx it by picking against the Tigers. There you go. Yeah, there so. you go. All right. Uh, kind of start hitting the home stretch on the podcast here. We need to talk a little bit about the, the AL wildcard game. As we're talking right now, the NL wildcard game is underway, and uh, currently uh, it's uh, Giants look like they're walking away with it. So. Five to nothing in the sixth. Exactly. Wow. All right, but the AL wildcard game looked like it was going to be that way. The A's looked like they were going to walk away with it. Uh, what they up, were they up, what, 7-3 at one point? 7-3 in the eighth inning. Yes, yes. And it turned into a 9-8, wild and woolly, 12-inning, 5-hour marathon with the Royals walking off. Uh, it, it, it's, it, that game was something else. It, won, it ended late. And I also kept thinking, this is the, the girlfriend texts me some work. She uh, texts me from the ER. And she says, aren't you glad it's not the Tigers? And words cannot describe, Oakside, how glad I am the Tigers weren't in a glorified game 163 because uh, I don't. I think my head would have exploded having to sit through that game if, if the Tigers game if the Tigers had been involved. Well, it, that really was much like game 163. It, yeah, a lot of us were experiencing deja vu. Yeah, just with the, the, the back and forth, back and forth. They've got the lead. They don't have the lead. They've got it. It's tied. It's extra innings. You know, just uh, some crazy, crazy improbables. You know, happening. A catcher drops a, a pitch out pitch for crying out loud you or know the, or the a starting catcher hurts his thumb and has to leave early coco crisp like hurts and, his... then, and then the royals run wild yes and speed made the difference i mean yeah. it was it was crazy those late innings when they would just get a guy on base and he would steal second steal third mm-hmm. score and a sacrifice fly i mean they really yeah. ran the a's around and it was just yeah it was it was 163 all over again yeah and ned yost was of course ned yost <laughs> and he yes. was even though the even though the royals won and moved on, 
the uh, specifically Pedro Martinez after the game just <laughs> shredded yes. Ned Yield yes. for the numerous decisions he made, deservedly so. Yes. Now, this, if there is, it's going. This is going to go down in the annals next slide of a team that wins in despite their manager's decision. It's the Royals. It's. I was really upset that the A's lost it because I said at the end, there, there's no way Yost deserved. To, yep. to advance any further based on what he did. I know you said he didn't catch some of the game, but uh, mm-hmm. you know the, the big issue was that uh, in the sixth inning, he pulled yeah. James Shields, his ace, yes. yeah. less than 90 pitches. Mm-hmm. And, and He uh, hadn't done that all year. No. I, mean, I, th- I think the least he had uh, thrown was like 95, and it was never that early. And so. he was absolutely plowing through A's hitters. He gave up a yeah. hit, hit and a walk, and then Yost pulled him. He's done, yeah. But instead of going for his, you know, his bullpen, you know, murderer's row. Lights out bullpen. Yes. Instead of going for Herrera, well, we all know his philosophy on that. It's a sixth inning. I can't pull them until the seventh inning. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth again. Exactly. He ends up going with Jordano Ventura, who's, granted, he throws heat. He throws 99, 100 miles an hour. But the thing is, Ventura had just pitched on Sunday. Yes. He'd thrown 73, 74 pitches on Sunday. So he brings in, you know, a guy who's already, you know, not really that fresh. And never been in this kind of situation. Never been in this situation, and he promptly serves up a three-run home run. Yeah. And every... Brandon Moss, of all people, oh, who yeah, had, I think figure. he had, like, two home runs in the – he had two home runs last night, and he had, like, two yes. home runs the last two months of the season. Yes. So it was just – it was – I mean, you could see it coming a mile away when he brought in Ventura and yeah. everybody. I mean, even the TBS announcers are saying, what are they doing? I was listening to the game on A's radio, yeah. and they were just dumbfounded. About why isn't he bringing in Herrera? You know what's going on, mm-hmm. and I think he ordered up four or five bunts in the game. Uh, yeah. You know, so just I mean, all of that kind of going on. Everyone's going, "Wow, he is just all over." Yeah, even Royals fans mentioned, you know, no one we scored when we didn't bunt. Exactly. <laughs> Situations where you got a lightning fast runner on first base, and he chooses to bunt instead of try for the steal, at least. Yeah, yeah. Just stupid stuff, you know, and and they won anyway, you know, mm-hmm. so. And then an injury, as we mentioned earlier, an injury played into that inning because Coco Crisp left because of a, a cramp or a strained hamstring, and then that ball was at Hosmer hit to the gap. I think a if playable. Crisp is out there, yeah, if Crisp is out there, at the very least, that ball is not a triple, it's a double, and that inning changes completely. Uh, yeah, and he had uh, Sam Folden left field up until that point, but then had to move yeah. him to center field, so now he's kind of out of position. I, I absolutely agree. If Fold had been in left and Crisp had been in center, that would have been an out, not a yeah. off-the-wall triple. So, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, that's the baseball gods just being jerks at that point. You know? Yeah, and, and as you said, with the A's, I think they just – felt at that point it's fait accompli you know this team has at one point was the odds on favorite to not just make the playoffs but the odds on favorite to win the world series and then collapse like a house of cards and i guess the way that game ended was i guess a fitting end to uh, to a weird again a weird second half for that team yeah i was trying to explain it to my wife this afternoon what happened and it was three improbable things in a row that fly ball to left field that got Mm -hmm. misplayed by two outfielders leaping into each other. Yeah. There was the pitch out that, you know, they would have nailed the yeah. runner a second, except that Derek Norris dropped the ball. Right. And then the final play of the game, Salvador Perez just flailing, hacking yeah. away at a slider and, in and the he dirt. he was like 0 for 5 to, at that point. Because he'd been swinging like on. that. Yeah. All yeah. game striking out. And, and somehow he flailed away at a pitch in the dirt and managed to smack it down the line. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, completely luck-driven, improbable, and at that point, you just got to say, well, it was it had to be fate. You know? well, uh, were you rooting for the A's or the uh, Royals? A's all the way. Uh, I was rooting for the Royals. I really was. 
Uh, I know one. It's one. I, you know, I, I call me a, a goof when it comes to these sort of things, but I kind of tend to root for the AL Central and these sorts of things. Kind of like I root for Big Ten teams, even though I'm not a fan of Ohio State, so to speak. But I, you know, I just you know the Royals situation is was very. I think I found very similar to what Tigers fans went through up until 2006. So I thought yeah, they see. were in pretty much the same boat. I don't. I don't think I can be on your podcast anymore. After that. <laughs> My I, I go just the opposite. AL Central teams in general, I hate all of them. So I. Well, not... it's twins the exception. I'll have to. It's the twins. You know? <laughs> I think more than anything, though, it's the fan base of, with the with KC, and not the, that the Royals so much. I'm rooting for the the Kansas City fan base because talk about a fan base that deserved better and then got stuck with crap for 30 years. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I, I'm a softie for the A's, have been since the late 80s. I really want Billy Bean to be vindicated. Yeah, the, you had the Billy Bean thing going. And right. I said on Twitter last night, people were, I, I was surprised to find I was in the minority. A lot of Tigers fans on Twitter were pulling for the Royals. Yeah. And uh, I said, uh, look, uh, a win for the A's is a win for Sabermetrics. A win for the Royals is a win for Ned Yost and his stupid bunting <laughs> mentality. You know, and that was weird that you're right. There was a certain segment of, I think, media, especially that were saying, yeah, so much for Moneyball, when for the most part, what, one game is going to change your mind about Moneyball. And, and the two, Billy Bean has kind of drifted from that philosophy anyway because he went all freaking in and you know gave away his best bat, the sharpest pitching staff, and it failed miserably. Yeah, I mean, what can you do? But yeah. it, it, the people have always been looking for a way to discredit Billy Bean. And his and his style, and this just only kind of upped the ante to say, see, you know, if you play small ball, if you steal and bunt, and then you know you win games in the postseason. And I go, just let these uh, people yeah. win. Let them win one World Series, and yeah. But my also fear is with the A's is that the Tigers end up playing them somehow, and I I could not handle another series with that team because they put us through the ringer. <laughs> I know, but I was I was so rooting for a Tigers A's matchup again. I mean, uh, and, it would have been would awesome. Have been interesting, it would have been. It would have been. But if that's at, at this point, I have no idea what's going to happen in the playoffs. Because you're right. It's it, talk about coin flip games. If if the playoffs are anything like the AL wild card game, you're right. I'm gonna have to get. I'm gonna have to load up, stock up the bar to say the very least. Well, I mean, the upshot is this: if if somehow yeah. the Royals can find a way with their sneaky devil magic, yeah, to beat the Angels. And we end up with the yes. Tigers, Royals, ALCS. Then I have high hopes for the Tigers getting into the World Series. Yeah, because there's a a team that's in the Royals' heads, especially the fan base. It's the Tigers. All right, uh, let me ask you this, Hook Slide. Do you find yourself kind of searching to where the hell is the ball game at? Because I you know go, realizing, you no, know, starting to look at, you no, know, where the games are going to be. I realize this isn't your grandfather's or God, even your father's TV schedule because. Most of the games aren't going to be on over-air television. I had to—I don't watch much TBS. I had to figure out where, where the hell's TBS on my damn cable, and they're going to TBS is going to cover both the ALDS and ALCS, and then it's even worse for National League fans excited because that series is split between Fox Sports One and the NLB Network. This is one of those things where uh, I. I I feel bad for people who are cord cutters, bad for people who maybe can't afford cable. And the only way they can watch baseball is they have to wait for the NLCS and World Series to see any kind of over-the-air television because that's the only series that are going to be on Fox. It's, it's, it's just it's, again, it's that money grab thing. And te- you know, I you know what I last you know when I expect to see a ball game, 
I was expecting, oh, it's going to be on Fox or it's going to be on ESPN or or, or, net, or t- one of the networks. And, you know, TBS, that doesn't say baseball to me. But then again, no. I'm old. No, TBS is, uh, you know, How I Met Your Mother and Seinfeld reruns and whatever else. I don't yeah. know why they're covering baseball. And the funny thing is it's split up over all these networks, TBS, MLB yeah. Network. And You have to search for the damn game. And not a good announcing team in the bunch. No, I mean, give me the days. I'm going to sound like an old fart now, but you know, give me the days of when all the games were on NBC and it was Vin Scully and Joe Caragiola. Yeah. You know, that... oh hell, I go back to uh, was it Joe Caragiola and Tony Kubek. So, ooh, now that yeah, is going real, back. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. It's uh, it, it the one plus to TBS is Pedro Martinez. <laughs> I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Yeah, get... he should be doing more television. I was going to say, get that, that guy great. in a booth. Yeah, for crying out loud! You know, yeah, but he, you're right. The booth last night was it was a snooze fest. Oh, I switched over to to the uh, Oakland yeah, A's radio. So to, yeah, the radio call, and they were fantastic. Yeah, I mean, anyway, you slice it. Having a, a crew that knows the home team or any of the yeah, teams it for makes that matter, a big difference. It's, right. it's huge, and those guys were yeah. so bad last night. But you know what's really scary? Mm-hmm. The World Series is. I I have a sinking feeling it's going to be Joe Buck and Harold Reynolds, and uh, Tom Verducci. Yes, but but Harold Reynolds. I know. It's oh, yeah, God. we've got we've gotten a little bit of taste of them. I think they did a Tigers game or two this year, and you're right, it's awful. It's bad. It is. And speaking of bad, though, are the start times. The Tigers got the short shift, I, shrift, and I think this plays into because there's a West Coast team playing in the other uh, other series in, in the um, Angels. But uh, Thursday's game starts at five thirty, five thirty-seven, and game two. Uh, I forgot if it was who if. If the Giants win, or if someone wins, it's at 12.30 or it's at 3 o'clock, depending on which team wins on, on Friday. Essentially, though, working stiffs are getting the shaft with these damn start times. There, there's, you know, I, I don't like games that start at a ridiculous time like 8.30, but a 7 o'clock, you know, if you're going to make people search for, for where the games are, then, you know, put them on different, you know, put one on TBS and then one on uh, TNT or something, because this uh, three o'clock, five thirty, twelve oh seven. Crap is bullshit, for, especially during the week. Yeah, and it's with the way this uh, wild card game is playing out right now as we speak. It looks like the Giants are up seven nothing. So, yeah. uh, Giants are going to win this game, and that means that we are stuck with that day game. On uh, is that Friday? I think we're going to get. The... Yeah, is it twelve thirty or three o'clock? Right. It, it, it would have been three o'clock if the Pirates had won. It's, so it's they're... even worse. It's a, yeah. So it's a twelve thirty start on Friday. Right. Wonderful. Right. Not to mention the uh, the conflict on Sunday with the NFL game. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. It's a yeah, that's going to start just before the four o'clock game starts and. And you want you want pounding, to get me yeah. on my rant about the anti NFL crap going on? Go for it. The uh, XYT, you know, the flagship mm-hmm. station that carries the Tigers, they are not covering Tigers baseball right now. I, I tried to listen in on Sunday when the Tigers clinched because I was hoping to hear post game interviews and all that. Lions game. It was all Lions. Yep. Even afterwards, in the news clips and everything, it was all Lions, and they're actually not going to be covering a whole lot of the the postseason stuff either. So. Yeah, Ugh. and then and the AL chant station they use twelve seventy has a weak ass. Uh, you know, if you're doing it over the air, you know, obviously you'll probably listen over the internet through the MLB uh, package, but still, you're right for 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 a segment of the population. Baseball is screening them over between games going strictly on cable, uh, or like you said, like it's a station like WXYT, you know, covering a regular season game of the Lions instead of a playoff game for the Tigers. 
let alone these ridiculously early start times. It's yes, it's for, very disappointing. For Detroit disappointing. residents, that is the case, as I understand. On Sunday, uh, XYT is going to be covering the Lions game. I'd believe it. Um, I would believe. Tony it. Paul was saying that on Twitter today. They they are covering the Lions game. If you want to hear the Tigers game, you have to switch to AM or get the MLB package. So screw the NFL. Uh, you know, I enjoy football, but I hate the NFL at this point. So I'm I'm with you there. I I. And the NFL itself can die in a fire. Let's just burn it down and start pro football over. <laughs> but that's another whole podcast altogether. All right, one more thing before we uh, call this extra long podcast uh, called the night. And that is, there was, I don't know if I'd call it shocking, but I, I was kind of bummed when I heard this. Just in that I really like Ron Gardenhire for what he was able to do with limited resources with the Twins. As much as I hate the Twins, you got to respect Ron Gardenhire. And he had been in Minnesota seemingly forever, 13 seasons, of literally being a thorn in the Tigers' side, winning six division titles. Yet he got Ziggy this week after four straight 92 loss seasons has sealed his fate, and he was fired. And the interesting point of this is that between Tom Kelly and Gardenhire, the Twins had just two managers in almost three decades. It's 28 years of just two managers. Well, I thought he handled it well. You know, his comments in the press conference of saying, you know, look, you hear the same voice for so many years. It might help to have a different voice in the dugout. At the same time, I'm calling bullshit. Yeah. You know, th- this this problem starts with general management and the ownership, and you you got to exactly. build a better team. Yeah. Gardenhire did, like you said, a pretty pretty good job. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen them uh, build him a better team and let him have another go at it. But uh, golly, it seems like I was trying to total up in my head. Isn't that like four or five managers now? Yeah. This season, if you count Bo Porter mm-hmm. uh, with the Astros, uh, Ron Washington stepping down yeah. from the Rangers, Kurt Gibson being fired from the Diamondbacks, and now yeah. Garden hired. I think there might have been one more, maybe not. Maybe it's just the four. But wow, what a season for turnover with MLB managers. Yeah, yeah, and you, you have to think if Garden hire wants to go to work, someone can. Someone's going to hire. He's going to be, I would think, the in the man guy, much like. Um, uh, Terry Francona was a couple years ago, and uh, it's it's weird though. You know, it's some. You know, I would love to see what Gardenhire could do with a team with resources, unlike the Twins. Maybe he'll get that chance now. So to blow your mind, mm-hmm. what would you do with uh, if the Tigers let Osmus go and hired Gardenhire? What, what would you do with a Twins manager in the Tigers uh, clubhouse? I could live with that. I mean, uh, you know, as a Red Wings fan, I was able to accept Chris Chelios, who I despised. And yet he put on the Red Wings jersey and became a great Red Wing. You know, and I enjoyed watching him play. So uh, when it comes to Garden Hire, you know, and, and keep in mind, I've seen it. I saw the Tigers do this before when Sparky Anderson was available. They had less Moss, and they fired him after three months or something like that because they knew the best best manager available is on the market. And we're going to get him. Uh, you know, it would not bother me to see a guy like Ron Garden Hire take over the Tigers. Uh, just because, you know, say what say what you will about, you know, X's and O's and things like that. Uh, I've always thought Ron Gardenhire was one hell of a manager, and I, Brad Ausmus has yet to impress me. I'll just put it that way. Well, and as we discovered, the, the key to good management is to have a guy who who looks prematurely old. Yeah, good point. So I think Gardenhire yeah. fits the profile. It's, yeah, he's kind of got that Don Zimmer thing going. He's got point. the white the hair. Chubby cheeks and the white hair, yeah. So he fits the Jim Leland, Sparky Anderson mold. Get this guy. Get the guy with the yeah. white hair. <laughs> 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 All 
right, let's wrap up this podcast because we've gone over long, but I guess it's worthwhile considering what's at stake this week. So, uh, anything you'd like to add before we call it a night? No, I think we've we've uh, sufficiently covered the gamut, uh, covered the gamut and uh, you know exhausted our audience's ears already. So we'll... yeah, and I'm I'm exhausted as it is. Yes. So let's uh, let's call this an evening. So. As always, Hookslide, where can they find you at, Mark? Uh, on Twitter, at HookslideBYB, Gmail, uh, HookslideBYB at gmail.com. All right. And as always, it's uh, Big Al BYB on Twitter. And I have no idea what our plans are yet for the Bless You Boys Twitter account, but someone will be on there during the playoffs, be it myself or Hookslide, Rob, whomever. We'll get that figured out. But uh, follow Bless You Boys on Twitter. Uh, definitely during the playoffs, there's, there's going to be a lot of action on the site. Goodness. And for that matter, Make sure to follow us on Facebook as well. Uh, that's uh, facebook.com slash byb.tigers. Uh, again, or just search Bless You Boys on Facebook and follow, like us there, follow us on Twitter, and uh, we'll try to do the best we can. You know, I just realized, Al, yeah. our next podcast, if we stick to the, the Friday recording schedule, mm-hmm. we are either going to be mourning the end of a season or we're yeah. going to be in the middle of the uh, championship series. Yeah, and either way... Uh, uh, we still uh, do. We have a tentative guest for that podcast. Yeah. We, we do. We do. I think yeah. we're ninety five percent sure on having uh, Matthew Mowry from. Uh, well, now what is the paper that he writes for? Oakland Press, right? The Oakland Press. Yeah. Yes. So he should be joining us uh, next week, regardless. Yeah, it'll be a post mortem or a preview. I'm going for preview. Let's hope so. <laughs> Even though I predicted otherwise. All right. So. Um, until, uh, yeah, it looks like the way things are going, we'll, it'll be a little longer time between podcasts. We're going to plan and we're going back to the normal Friday recording day. Uh, we'll hopefully have uh, Matthew B. Bowery with us there to talk to more Tigers. But I think that with that, let's wrap it up because uh, we got a playoff game to prepare for. So until this, I won't say this time next week, but until later next week, this is Al Beaton saying uh, good night and good luck along with Hooks Live. Uh, remember, kids, don't take Adderall without permission. Unless you get a waiver from MLB, and you should have that waiver on the next What's Your Boys podcast. Ha <laughs> ha that'll get him out of the old ballpark. That's good advice. Thanks, big fella.